Welcome to Intermittent Signal. I'm David A. Westbrook. This is episode number seven, form, subject, photo essay, globalization. As the pandemic started, I grew more serious about photography as a mode of expression, as opposed to just a way to talk to friends and family. In particular, I started to compose photo essays, assemblages of words and images. I also think quite a bit about painting and photography. Because it is what I do, I wrote a few essays about all of this. If you want to see the pictures or read the essays, you can find them on davidawestbrook.com. And you should. It's free. But if you want to listen, well, you're in the right place. A Symbol by Moonlight. How I came to the photo essay. Very early, one morning in early March of 2020, I was awakened by the light of a full moon on snow. Outside, I swam in the odd, beautiful, spooky sensation of believing that one sees everything in the pale light, but not really. Mystery made visible. I took pictures that night and others until I was too cold or the big moon had waned. Looking over the images, what seemed really important, why not before, was the way that various pictures, alone or several, gestured beyond their immediate subjects. For examples, German paintings and wolves were at issue along, more understandably, with the possibility of freezing to death and hope that one wouldn't. Even more important was the realization that the images could be sequenced, suggesting a story, maybe even an argument, but by traces, hints, on the edge of consciousness, in contrast to the rather jejun assertiveness of so much scholarship. For the first time, photography seemed to offer me, a word guy, some of the possibilities of the essay, or maybe even the poem. Conversely, a few well-chosen, one hopes, words help to slow the eye down, to pick this or that from the sea of images and offer it for contemplation. A digital image is endlessly reproducible, but can also present an opportunity to appreciate the acute singularity of experience. Right here, now, and never again precisely the same. So, in the enforced space of the pandemic, I started composing photo essays, or, more loosely still, assemblages, and have more in the works. A few of these images have been republished, which is likely unimportant except to my vanity. That confessed, the ego needs occasional feeding, too, if one is to keep going, and I suppose much the same could be said of my writing. Tolstoy said much the same of his writing, but he was wrong. At any rate, I am by no means a professional photographer. Indeed, my friend Schlegel recently diagnosed... For years, you've been trying to blur the line between the professional, authorized by the guild who works for money, and the amateur, not actually authorized by talent, reputation, sheer chutzpah, or what have you, but who works for love. He's probably right. Today, I want to talk about two photo essays, Vivid, Fragile, Global, and, secondly, Pictures Without Subjects. Both were assembled from pictures I took in the years between the global financial crisis and the COVID pandemic. Vivid, Fragile, Global, vis-a-vis Pictures Without Subjects. The years between the onset of the global financial crisis and the COVID-19 pandemic 2008 to 2020 constituted a particular era of globalization. Those days evidently have passed. The time that was, however, afforded, almost demanded, a certain kind of consciousness of subjectivity, more than a mood. Such psychic demands were made upon me, and I believe of others of my class. Vivid, Fragile, Global, 2008-2020, and Pictures Without Subjects, 
explore different aspects of that subjectivity and can be understood in dialogue with one another. To reset the stage, the optimism, sometimes triumphalism, of 89 in the years shortly thereafter was gone. For a long moment after the fall of the Berlin Wall, the integration of China, and the end of the Cold War, one might be forgiven for having believed that the world simply must, in some Darwinian sense, become modern in ways that we approved. That optimism was shaken by 9-11 and related incidents, and then by the global financial crisis, both of which helped me professionally, incidentally. Yet, and still, there was so much opportunity, so much travel, so much color, vivid, so much money, so much, for want of a better word, freedom to realize some ideal of oneself, a profoundly capitalist sentiment. These were years of wealth, movement, and an inchoate sense of vulnerability, of dangers unforeseen until articulated by the event. Everything was connected. Everything was at risk. I wrote elsewhere. Some risks were big, obvious external threats. Terrorism, horrible politics, economic collapse, environmental collapse. The world could change on you, and then where would you be? But as suggested by Global, that is, everywhere, not situated, abstract, the individual was lost long before any such dramatic disaster made fashionable dining impossible. The problem of situation, and so the orientation of the self, was integral to the times. Business class is virtually identical from one place to the next. One's location is relatively unimportant. No doubt it was the scale, or the speed, or the sheer plethora afforded to some people at this moment of history that made so many beauties seem insignificant, perhaps to be traded for the next location, experience, person. It is difficult not to think of divorce, the exchange of one for another. One is, one must rationally fear, relatively unimportant. In what French Schlegel calls an impatient capitalism, everyone waits for the next. Innovation becomes an invocation, a better model to appear. Redundant, disposable, should circumstances even suggest, much doubts dictate. Thank you for your platinum status. Can I get you another glass of champagne with your alienation? Photography itself, the infinite reproducibility of images, is part of the problem, as Walter Benjamin began to think some generations ago. He thought the reproduction of images would affect the quality of experience occasioned by the encounter with individual works of art, meaning painting. More to say, but not here, because a much broader problem has emerged, which affects us all. Photography, and then more digital imagery, has affected the quality of space itself, and hence our orientation, and hence our sense of our own selves, who are fated to exist in physical spaces, metaverses notwithstanding. This morning, waiting on news from Ukraine, it is worth considering how old-fashioned television collapses, trivializes, and redistances. That's to say nothing of social, as it were, digital media. The sea of images in which we swim perversely calls forth still more images, advertisements for ourselves, somewhat pathetic efforts to establish our location in time and space, at least virtual time and space. Such efforts are not always complete failures. Photography can, just sometimes, help to resituate the individual in a set of spaces at some time, even if only air worlds during a short period of history, with its beauties and its loneliness and its anxiety. We may, perhaps risibly, insist on this time, place, moment, human, and even state of mind. 
or so I, using a smartphone, have attempted in Vivid Fragile Global 2008-2020. I am guilty, pathos embraced, champagne in hand, guns locked away. That's kidding. Strangely, maybe, one of the ways to help reestablish particularity, and so the subject, is to remove the subject from the frame and thereby encourage the viewer, including the photographer naturally, to focus on the world and indeed to wonder about the absent subject, herein the kernel of a critique of therapy in much of our culture. In Pictures Without Subjects, I explore the possibility of reestablishing the self and perhaps the power of representing the world, which was once the honor of photography, by making images that ask the viewer to think through looking rather than merely recognizing and moving on. For a long time, the materials that ultimately became these two photo essays wanted to be a single work, probably because they expressed efforts of a single mind, mine, to respond to the privileged yet precarious and strangely surreal context through which I had just lived. After much mucking about with at best middling results, the meanings latent in these pictures sorted themselves into two dominant sets of concerns. First, what gave this moment of globalization that we have just left its specific character? What can we say about the era? And second, how can we rediscover the world and so ourselves under those, and perhaps our current, somewhat different circumstances? After a while, these concerns seem too distant from one another to be contained within a single vessel, a strawberry souffle and a tuna steak, though they might make a nice meal. As crucially, the first set of concerns were expressed by vivid images with saturated colors and sharp edges, often bright sunlight and blue skies. The second set of concerns spoke in grays and browns, often wintry or rainy, and sometimes blurry images. The palettes were discordant, and not in a good way. Therefore, I made two pieces, each with its own look, its own flavor. I think they should be engaged together. The photo essay is a strange hybrid form, which raises questions about different ways meaning is created. I started to say expressed as in self-expression or conveyed, as in I transfer something to you. But especially obviously with photographs, meaning isn't a unidirectional thing. It arises in the mind of the audience, but of course not unprompted. So what does prompting mean? Can one do a good job prompting, suggesting? And what about the tension between word and image and, well, here's another little essay. The impossibility and delight of the photo essay. A note on the form. The photo essay is impossible, a contradiction in terms. This very impossibility, however, can be a delight in itself, not least because it provides an opportunity for delicacy. I have no desire this evening to attempt a theory of signification here, beyond saying that telling and showing signify in different ways. Not only is this not a pipe, it is not a pipe in the way of language, the writing in the painting, and in the way of an image of a pipe. For an essayist, not to say a lawyer, photography is marvelously suggestive, even seductive, offering loose association in lieu of rigorous argument. At the same time, a great deal of thought went into these compositions, and I hope the viewer, you, feel the pressure, the weight, even as they do their own thinking. I could write an essay on virtually every image, 
in part because I know the context in which the images were taken, and in greater part because the images are there because they fit into the skein of my research and reflections. And there would be more to say about the order of images and about things not shown. It would require writing a book, but I could tell the viewer what these compositions mean to me and what further meanings are evoked, which one might mistake for how these compositions should be read. At this point, we might dispense with the photographs altogether, just tell and give up on showing. A book about pictures deliberately left unseen. I love it. Or maybe a series of photographs of books, but the text is illegible. As an alternative, were I essentially a photographer, I could present the images without comment, not even a title, and in no particular order, or in an order that changed, perhaps, from time to time. Formal self-sufficiency is more evident in music, which may be the soul's own speech, as a sampler on my grandmother's wall used to say. But the meetings are usually pretty hazy. Or, as John Cage said, I have nothing to say and I'm saying it. By the same token, we might simply enjoy the shapes and colors of things. At least in my opinion, some of the images in these compositions would work, would be interesting, alone, without reference to any implicit concerns about the nature of modernity or the self or representation or what have you. That is, sonic or graphic form need not do much in the world of ideas. Showing need not trend toward telling. An argument without words, propositions implied but never articulated and hence unknowable for sure, but those are the ends of a continuum, which one might abstract in rather Teutonic fashion as a polarity between thought, text, and aesthetics, images. More subtly, we've suggested a tension between the sovereignty of the artist and that of the audience over meaning. Suppose, however, we meet in the middle, as in song, or for that matter, as in teaching. One might take a collection of images and give them a sequence and some interesting juxtapositions, a title, the odd snippet of text, maybe a caption here and there, so that the images do not just show, but tell, mumble a message to be puzzled over. Mumble is important. Too much clarity can ruin the experience, for roughly the same reason jokes don't come with explanations. More generally, as creators, should we not both make and try to convey to give, but also leave a substantial degree of freedom to those who receive? even at the cost of their being wrong or just simple. That's what the photo essay tries to do. Why would we want to meet in the middle? Why am I making photo essays, rather specifically? For the essayist, the image comes to embody the idea, to make it here and now, to connect it with the world at that moment, and so make it real. For the photographer, the image gains power by association with ideas, in relations not pictured, comes to mean more, much as religious art relies upon knowledge of the faith. In either case, one hopes that the gift is interesting enough to be received, finds an audience. An, arti an artist needs an audience like a teacher needs students. Only connect, as someone said. And yet, compromise. There is compromise here. The general idea which text can express is always limited by its particular visual embodiment, recalling Plato's objection to the poets. This beautiful nude, however beautiful, does not capture beauty itself, not even the beauty expressed by other bodies. Conversely, the image, 
and even that which it represents, is somewhat diminished by the imposition of exogenous meaning, somebody else's intention, even if it's the intention of the artist. The image is no longer a thing in itself, in the world, to be confronted by the viewer in wonder, but is an example of, say, the concept of beauty. Such questions can only be re-asked, not answered. But that is the point, I think. As in much else, you will never get it right. You may, for a moment, hold things in equipoise. Rather than solutions, once and for all, we may appreciate the possibility of delicacy and just sometimes good work. So, may you find a way to do good work, I guess. By way of coda, a bit of serendipity. As I was finishing this text, Cousin Tom checked in to say that I ought to read something about the painter Stanley Lewis and look at his paintings. Lewis is in his early 80s. He comes out of abstraction, the ferment of abstract expressionism, but he has turned towards representation. He's been very influential, but for now, he's a sort of painter's painter, I gather. Maybe the museums and rich collectors will catch up and he'll die rich. Anyway, at first glance, the paintings look impressionistic, but impressionism done after, in view of, the whole modernist opera is different from the impressionist painting done before, and that in some sense, Cezanne as shorthand, led to the opera in the first place. So, I'm looking and thinking about this, and I found this quote. Lewis says, It can get very complicated. It's difficult to explain. When you try to get everything working like this, you realize that it actually can't be done. How do you find a consistent, stabilizing position? That's what I'm interested in, and that's what I've been trying to do for my whole life. Exactly. That's what this podcast has been about. This has been Form, Subject, Photo Essay, Globalization on Intermittent Signal. I am David A. Westbrook. Until next time, be well.